0: From the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe, you're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to the next
1: episode of Shark by biz i'm your kick butt host david Strasser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos today's show is amazing but first again i've got a shout out i've got articles on forbes.com right now and most are going to be the BizDev council discussions that are panel uh, chats essentially with a lot of experts out there in the biz dev field they are awesome but i actually do have my own full-fledged article that was derived from this very podcast with all the things i learned talking to business owners and experts just like today's guest make sure you check it out the link is down below in the description so as i was saying we have a really really awesome show today we're going to be talking about selling yeah i said selling your business I've always been told that when you start a business, there's one of two mindsets you should probably have. Are you building a business for acquisition? Or are you building it to thrive and dominate the market and have it last forever? Sometimes the answer is both. Now, I don't know how true that mindset actually holds because I hear a lot of business owners that are like, no, absolutely, why would you start a business for acquisition? But then I talk to a lot of people in the startup space And they're like, yeah, you know, we got this awesome technology. We're going to go get it out there in the market. We're going to get a patent. And then we're going to get bought by Google, okay? So I think that that mindset does stand. And if you think about it, you know, there's one saying I have on this show that I've said a cabillion times already. You have to have one eye on the present. You need to think about now. You need to do things for today. But you can't act Short-sighted because you always have to keep that other eye on the future you know what you want tomorrow the choices you make today will directly impact if you're going to get where you want to be in the future and that's where I think that mindset sits okay the reason is is because if you're building up a lean organization for acquisition by a major tech company editor whatever it may be okay then The decisions you make, not all, but there are going to be some decisions that you would make different than if you're building a business that you expect to be involved in long term. Okay, you're going to be making better decisions that will help you out long term than if you're looking for a short couple years or so, you know, quick build of a business for an acquisition. So whatever, we can debate that topic as much as you want. I think it's pretty interesting and it goes into real business philosophy, I guess you could say. We'll talk about that more in detail another day. But today, we're talking again about what do you do when you want to sell a business? You know, things change along the way. People change. Industries change. Life changes, I mean... Look, we're in a pandemic for a year right now at this point, And you may have built up your business upon thriving and dominating the market. But now, your life has changed. It's not what it was 30 years ago, okay? You got a couple curveballs and now you're thinking, you know what? Maybe it is time to get out. Maybe it's time to have that exit plan. So, or maybe you just are kicking that much butt, which I hope it is by the way that you started getting some unsolicited offers to buy your business and of might have got things thinking like wow you know maybe i can cash out now so today we're talking with an expert that is a master in prepping your business for sale and then once you're prepped there you go preppers right once you get prepped okay then she is going to help you sell the business at top dollar It's an amazing discussion, and I think you all will enjoy it because it does bring up some very, very valid points about things that we should really be aware of as we grow our businesses. You don't want to go sell your business and then have somebody like our guest today say, hey, business is a wreck. Nothing we could do until you do A, B, C, D, and then you're two years down the road because you've got to implement the system and rework all these other weird things just to make your business attractable enough to get that top dollar. So take her advice, start implementing these things now so that when it is time for you to sell, you're able to sell right through that checklist and go right on through to the bank. So who is today's guest? So glad you asked. It is Michelle Steeler Tucker. Michelle Sailor Tucker is the founder and CEO of Sailor Tucker Incorporated. She holds the Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary title, as well as the Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional and Certified Senior Business Analyst. Michelle also owns many other businesses in several different industries. She is an extremely diverse woman. As a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she is regarded as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Her and her firm have sold over a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record of success. And she is also a top-selling author. I'll throw that in there. She does have a book out. We'll hear more about that during the interview. And we'll have some links for the pre-order down bottom in the description. So, hey, without further ado, I'm going to shut up now. Let's bring Michelle on in here.
0: Business Strategy.
1: Michelle, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You just became Shark Bait. <laughs> that's
2: awesome. That's awesome. You know why that's awesome? Because I have the, why original, is that? I have the original shark from Shark Tank that was the forward for Exit Rich, Kevin Harrington.
1: Oh, wow. There you go. There you go. <laughs> See, everything comes full circle. <laughs>
2: that's right.
1: <laughs> so... On this show, we have a tradition, very easy softball question for the first question out the gate, okay? What's your experience? What's your background? Basically, tell everybody out there who doesn't know, what makes Michelle, Michelle?
2: Well, I've been in mergers and acquisitions for 20 years, a little over Mm -hmm. 20 years. Uh, Before that, I did franchise sales, franchise development, franchise consulting. Then I transitioned into mergers and acquisitions. I'm a Mergers mm-hmm. and Acquisitions Mastery intermediary, Senior Business Analyst. Um, I've personally sold over 500 companies. My company has sold over wow. 1,000. So my company has sold over 1,000. And I specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing businesses. And what makes us unique or what makes me unique is I also own businesses. So I don't just... Okay. Most brokers and M&A advisors have never even owned a business before. I've actually owned many different companies in many different verticals. And um, I think that truly gives me an edge because I understand, you know, everything that, that a business owner thinks of, everything that goes through mm-hmm. a business owner's head. Plus, I've It's sold a my very own unique companies. perspective. It is a very unique perspective. And yeah. I think it gives me the competitive edge, which is why we probably close 98% of all deals and, um, you know, usually get a 20 a to 40% higher selling price for our clients.
1: Oh, that's that's great. So, you you were using M&A uh, for mergers and acquisitions, master intermediary. Uh, um, so can you just explain a little bit what that details for listeners that might not know?
2: Yeah, um, I'm sorry, explain what? Uh,
1: exactly what your M&A is a little okay. bit.
2: So m um, and is mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I specialize in selling companies, merging companies together. It's really a higher echelon of, of profession versus a business broker. A business broker typically sells small businesses like pizzerias and coffee shops and dry cleaners, where we I specialize in selling businesses are 10 million and up. So, you know, 20 million, 30 million, 50 million, hundred million. We specialize in larger larger type sales, larger type businesses.
1: Oh yeah, that, that's great info. So with that, the I mean, very first question I've got to ask is, we're in the middle of a pandemic. How is the market for this?
2: So we are in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> and I would tell you, I mean, 2020, you know, was was not our best year, obviously. Um, but, you know, we still had closings in 2020. And we have several businesses we're working with that are in the pipeline of closing. And, you know, it's I tell you, there are some industries that have had the best year because of the pandemic than they've ever had in their entire oh, yeah entire history of being a business. And then you have under other, other industries that are completely dying, you know, and uh, very close to going out of business. So we're working with both spect- we're working with both sides of the coin. So we have businesses that we're working with to sell that have had the best year. And then we're working with other businesses and selling them to the turnaround specialist. Plus I also partner with business owners. So if I think you know it's a good fit, I'll invest money, expertise, resources to help turn that business around and put them on the path to building the sound.
1: Oh, that's, that's great. That's great. Now, one of the big ingredients in what you do, whether you're uh, selling or partnering or whatever situation it may end up, the business itself has to have profit, okay? Right?
2: Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, it's, it's always better to have profit. There are situations where a business can sell, even if it's losing money but that business has to have synergies. Like for instance, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp and WhatsApp was losing money. They were hemorrhaging, but WhatsApp had a billion users. So they had a synergy Mm -hmm. that was worth 19 billion to Facebook because Facebook knew they could monetize an ROI. So just because a company is not profitable doesn't necessarily mean it's not sellable. Um, In most cases, it makes it very difficult to sell and it's hard to maximize value, meaning they're not going to sell for you know top dollar. However, mm-hmm. if they have synergies, if they have a certain contract, if they have database, if they have patents, if they have trademarks, if they have something like that, then um, the business is sellable and to the right buyer, they might be willing to pay them you know, a premium price for that synergy.
1: Oh yeah, that's great. Especially if you start getting into the tech world, like you were saying, another one that comes to mind I believe it was Uber, a uh, similar situation where they were negative, negative, negative for years, but their value kept skyrocketing because of the users they have and the drivers that they have. You know, it's a huge, huge database. So while we're talking about profit here, what do you think maybe is some of the, the biggest mistakes that companies or people make with profit?
2: Oh my gosh. (laughs) There's so many mistakes that people make with profits. I would say, so I always say profit. So I have the six P formula that we talk about in Exit Rich. And P is the six profit. I mean, profit is the six P is what I meant to say. (laughs) And um, I always say that profit is never the problem. Never, ever the problem. It's always a symptom of not running on all the other five P's. So clients will come to me and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm I'm like, no, you have a people problem because you don't have the right people in place. You're doing everything yourself or no, you have a product problem, meaning that you're in an industry that's dying, not thriving. So therefore you're not making any money or you have a process problem. Your processes are not efficient and productive and it's costing you a lot of money and it's costing you waste. Or a big one is you have a, or are you not making, are you losing profits because of proprietary? You haven't protected your trademarks. So you haven't protected your proprietary. Or another big one is patrons, customer database, you know, um, that they have customer concentration that they have 80% of their clients tied up in 20%. I mean, 80% of the revenue tied up with 20% of right. their client. Then if they lose two or three clients, they could lose a lot of money. Right. Also in processes. The problem that gets most business, a lot of business owners, maybe not most, but a lot of business owners is in their processes. They might have a process for accounting. They might have a process for receiving AR and overlooking payables, but they don't always inspect what they expect. They trust, but they don't verify. So therefore there's embezzlement issues. And I would Mm -hmm. tell you Gosh, probably one in maybe ten to fifteen companies I've represented represent um, has had embezzlement issues. So yeah, that's yeah. a well, big I mean, problem. Right. To put, in,
1: right, to put it? it in perspective, you're working with a lot larger companies too, because you know, and I think I would assume more pieces. Even small the companies. Easier it is. Even, even small, small companies. companies
2: wow. Absolutely. Even small companies. We had um, a chiropractor we were working with. They had a chiropractor that um, was ripping them off, cashing, so they would take checks that were made up to the clinic, endorse it to them, and were able to cash it and rip them off for like $150,000, $300,000, and it was a small clinic. So it happens all the time. So, But really, profit is never the problem. It's a symptom of not operating on the other five Ps, and it's also a symptom of not knowing your numbers. A lot of Uh business owners don't know their numbers. They really have no idea what they're making. They might know their top line, but they don't know their bottom line. Plus they're living out of their business. So they're running personal expenses through the company and they're not really keeping track of what the true business expenses versus the personal expenses are. And that can cause a big profit problem right, <laughs> when you right. go to sell the business. So there's so many you know, mistakes that, that business owners make when it comes to profit. But like I said, profit's never the problem. So if you're not making money, you uh-huh. need to go inspect one of the other five Ps.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this or not, but you hit the nail on the head onto <laughs> one of my specialties. Did you research me? No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would love to
2: say I did. <laughs> but I did not. Sorry. <laughs> so
1: on this show, I talk uh, a lot of episodes. We talk about digital transformation, stuff like that. Because I actually, I'm in the ERP world, ERP for enterprise resource planning with uh, SAP Business One as well as Sage Intact. And doing those, I mean, one of the big discussions that we always have is that the processes for a business is kind of messed up and that they are bleeding a lot of money with that stuff. Can you jump into a little bit more details from your perspective
2: on it? That the processes are mixed up and they know
1: what? Well, I was saying that the, the business processes that they're using, mm-hmm. the, you know, they're they're messy. They're not straightforward. You're not able to do simple workflows, automate things, and that companies are losing a lot of revenue mm. because of their messy workflows.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Because they're paying for that labor cost, right? And that labor cost could probably be reduced significantly or overtime could be reduced significantly okay. if they ran more efficiently and they had the processes and procedures in place. So yes, lack of processes definitely, definitely cost a company money. It can cost a company entries. It can cost a company to go out of business, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's why I say, you know, lack of profits are always based upon not having the right people, not having the right processes, not having the right product in place. So that correct. that that is correct. Um Also, lack of profits. I'll give you another example really quickly. Is we had a, a manufacturing business, plastics manufacturing business, we were selling, uh-huh. and the problem with this company is that they they were losing money. They had been in business for about sixty, for about no, about forty-five to fifty years. Uh-huh. Uh, they were from China. And all their employees were from China. And they kept raising their employees. So they kept giving raises, 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 without ever really looking at, okay, well, here's the revenue. Here's the gross profit margin. Here's Mm -hmm. our overhead. They were raising employees so much so that they became upside down in employee overhead. And they were taking out of their savings in which to cover the employee overhead. Their margins were very, very tight. They couldn't really increase their, mar- their their pricing by much because it is an industry that is price specific. You get the right. business because of price. It's plastic. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: And so their margins were raised or thin, but they took their eye off of overhead and didn't really do everything they needed to do to, to button up and make sure that their overhead you know, was intact, so it wasn't eating up the profits. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. It was totally, a huge profit
2: mistake, yeah.
1: That's something, maybe not that specific uh, th- item that you mentioned, but that is something that we try to discuss on this show frequently as far as... You know the process flows, but also on the accounting side too. So that way, you're, you're tracking things like job costing and all yeah. that stuff in a solid financial system. That you're able to have those key performance indicators at your fingertip to be able to make real time decisions based off of factual data. I think well, that's and that's, probably,
2: and that's probably the biggest issue in a lot of businesses is that they don't have the software. You know, they're doing everything manually or they're doing everything based upon, you know, past experience and manually, and they don't really have the software. I partnered with a graphics company not that long ago and they had the same issue, but they were doing everything by hand. Boy, when we got that software, that was a game changer. Now Um, they're like, oh, we can't sell a job for this because we're only gonna make that much profit. So (laughs) it was a total game changer. Now they have the KPIs in front of them, like you just mentioned. Now they can plug Mm -hmm. any job in and within seconds, they can tell exactly how profitable they're going to be. But there's a lot of companies that don't run on software. There's a lot of companies that that don't have, like you said, the systems and processes in place Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're managing your overhead. And I've seen uh,
1: companies worth hundreds of millions of dollars still using green screen or managing their businesses off of Excel sheets.
2: Right. 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 Yep. Yeah. It, it's pretty
1: it's pretty crazy. And I think that's one area that this pandemic, I think it kind of helped us a little bit more because it really pushed a lot of these companies to try to adopt systems and workflows since you have so many other people working remotely or weird shifts because of capacity issues or nice. restrictions so it, it's really helped a lot of companies kind of upgrade their system and keep better track on it during uh you know this pandemic
2: yeah so- i i agree 1000% okay. um and a lot of that is because of business owners. You know, business owners uh-huh. have had their business for 10, 15, 20, 25 years and they do everything the old fashioned way. Oh yeah. You know, we had it we had a distribution company we sold and they uh, they had no computers whatsoever. Everything was done by Rolodex and inventory sheets and yeah. everything was done by hand. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have computers. And I'm like, can yeah. I forget if there's ever a fire <laughs> because yeah, all their yeah. customers are on paper. And so okay. I think a lot of that has to do with the owners just, you know, not wanting to, to get things up to speed and not wanting to do things, you know, based upon you're, the century.
1: You're amazing, Michelle. You're hitting all my, t- uh, all <laughs> my, uh, my, my good spots right there. You're, well, you, everything you've like seen, you I've probably
2: seen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've seen yeah. it all, just like you have. But and that's yeah. why so many businesses are dropping like flies. Uh-huh. You know, it's when I wrote my first book, twenty. In 2013, called Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, I did the research and learned that 95% of businesses will go out of business. But then when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019, 2020, um, I did the same research and realized that the business landscape has actually flip flopped. Now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business. But listen to this this is startling. Out of 27.6 million companies, those business owners that have been in business for 10 years or longer. Seventy percent of those businesses are at risk of going out of business. Seven zero. Now you hear about the public companies in the media, like you hear about Toys R Us in business seventy five years goes out of business. Kmart, Stameart, you know, Pier One, Godiva, our favorite chocolate is closing up fifteen hundred locations. But what you're not hearing about are the main, are are the small businesses, the private businesses on every street corner. They don't talk about that in the news, and unfortunately, business owners are dropping like flies and having to sell for pennies on the dollar close business or even worse call bankruptcy and they're exiting poor that's why i wrote exit rich
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that that's a perfect perfect reasoning and i think right now it'd be an excellent point to uh, you know address again that hey buy local help the mom and pop shops amazon's already got enough money uh you know help your local businesses out as much as you can because they're probably hurting deep down inside. No, especially... they're definitely
2: hurting, but it can't yeah. just be on the consumer. It has to oh, be yeah. on the business owner too. The reason these business owners are going out of business is because they stop doing what I call aim. Aim is always innovate and market. Always innovate, always and, innovate market. and market. They stop innovating. You know, just yeah, like you said, they don't true. have the systems in place. They don't have the software in place because they do everything old school. You got if you want to stay relevant in the mind of the consumers, you have to innovate. You have oh, to market yeah. to new consumers. Whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to do business with them is the company that's winning. Amazon is winning because they make it so easy to practically buy anything and have it delivered in two days and not pay for shipping. Okay. So other wait, business wait. owners, better they, they better get on board. I mean, Blockbuster did the same thing. Blockbuster saw, saw um, Netflix. They saw the writing on the wall, and they had the opportunity to buy Netflix, and they passed on it. And they ended up sitting back and not innovating and they went out of business. So business owners really got to wake up. They got to wake up and they got to pivot and they got to figure out, okay, how do I stay relevant? What do I do? I need to ask my my customers, what do you need? What I, what do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? And they need to innovate. And yes, you, you're I either growing or price. dying. You're growing or dying. That's it, growing yes. or dying.
1: <laughs> wow. So. Let's talk right there. You're saying growing, dying. What is the typical business life cycle?
2: Well, the typical business life cycle used to be pretty long. <laughs> it <laughs> used to be that it used to, well. You know, I have to go back and pull the average, but it used to be that if you could make it past ten years or five years, really past five five to seven years, then you were golden. You you're going to be in business forever. You know, you remember those businesses that were started seventy, eighty, ninety, eight hundred years ago, but oh. but not anymore. So You know, the typical business life cycle.
1: Like you always heard that, you know, the five-year mark, the five-year mark, you got to use the five. Now, I don't really hear that five-year mark being mentioned
2: at all. No, because startups are not at great risk anymore. It used to be 95%. Now it's only 30% of startups will go out of business. Because why? Because startups are doing something unique. (laughs) They're innovating. They're doing something different. They're finding out what the problem is and coming up with a solution. Whereas the businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer are doing business as usual and they haven't changed anything. They haven't innovated. So I call it the business life cycle is very similar to the human life cycle. The business life cycle, the business life cycle is all about, okay, same as a human life cycle. You're born, right? You're in the incubator. You're in the incubator. Same thing with a business. You're born, boom, you're in that incubator. 90% of of ideas never make out of the incubator. Then you go from the incubator to a toddler, right? What does a toddler need? A lot of money, a lot of supervision, <laughs> a lot of 24 hour support. Same thing with a business. I mean, if you look at Toys R Us, Toys R Us started in 1948 with one furniture store. Then wow. they, they, it, I think it was 1954, or 1952, they started with the baby, their first baby furniture store, modeling it after a grocery store. Guess what? They never changed. Toys R Us never innovated. They never did anything different. Sometimes people
1: think about, hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I really do agree with you. I think that mentality really hurts people because um, one one of my sayings is, hey, you got to keep one eye on the future and you've always got to keep one eye on the present because the choices, the decisions I make now are gonna, you know, help me get to where I want to in the future. And I think too many businesses have, no, I don't care about tomorrow or five years from now. I only care about today. And they're too short-sighted trying to get that quarterly earnings.
2: Right. I agree. I agree a thousand percent. Um, I think you definitely have to, you know, forget about the past, right? Focus on the present, focus on the future. And, you know, Figure out, you know, what do people want? I mean, that's what Steve Jobs did. He came back to Apple and he's like, you know what? Let's create the demand. Let's create the demand. We're going to create something that they don't even know they want, but they're going to want it so bad that they're going to wait in line for it. (laughs) Yeah. And that was the Apple phone. That was the iPad. I mean, when they came out with the iPad, like, who's ever going to use an iPad? And I have like 12 of them, you know? (laughs) And so you got to really innovate and, and create the demand. And that's how you stay on top.
1: Even with Apple, I mean, if you look at their design curve, I think they're starting to get out of it, but I don't know. I felt just outsider looking in that loves technology that at one point they slowed down their groundbreaking innovation. And I don't know, I kind of felt like a little bit of a lull, but I think they're back on the upswing again, as far as being the leaders, being the first and the best. Well, something. they're
2: They're the biggest brand in the world. They are worth $289 billion. That's just the brand. That's not their EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. That's not EBITDA, cash cash flow, inventory, real estate, Can you say assets. that again?
1: No, I'm kidding.
2: Which one, EBITDA?
1: Yeah, yeah, the, the whole thing. Say that seven times fast.
2: <laughs> sure. No, I'm, no, no, but, no, I'm kidding. But yeah, they're the biggest brand in the world. So, yeah, they, I mean, they just slow a little bit down, but remember, I mean, Apple was dying a very slow mm-hmm. death and Steve Jobs came in and said, you know, what, what business are we in? And these are three transformational questions that I think every business owner should ask themselves is what business are we in? What do we do really, really well? And what business should we be in? And that's what Steve Jobs did, and they said, "What business are we in?" And they were in a computer business, right? He's like, "What business uh-huh. should we be in? We should be in the con- what do we do really, really well? We're technology, you know? right? We're great at technology. What business should we be in? You know We should be in the connecting business where we, where anybody, anywhere around the world, no matter what, can own one of these guys.
0: Yeah, yep. I've two
2: sitting yep. on my desk And Adler-
1: I think BlackBerry's a good example, worthwhile talking, because they were an innovative company that stopped innovating. Hence why I think they died.
2: Well, exactly. And same thing with Xerox. You know, Xerox, yeah. Xerox turned their nose up at the mouse.
0: <laughs> Xerox
2: mm-hmm. turned their nose up at so many different inventions, just like Blockbuster did with Netflix. And they're kind of dying to slow death. So it's it's really shocking to me how many big business, you know, CEOs at the time are still do turn their nose up at it, these inventions. You know, Xerox gonna have had the mouse.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and that, so, would have been a, that would have been great. <laughs>
2: right. So you gotta, you know, you gotta always know. You gotta be able to spot opportunity. You gotta be able to take action, and you gotta keep innovating. You stop yeah. innovating, you're gonna start dying. That's the bottom line. Right. And that's why right so many this... businesses are going out of business yeah. now. Yeah.
1: So let's say right there, okay. You're about the, maybe you wanna sell it because the company is starting to go downhill or maybe you feel you're at the top of your game because you were ahead in the innovation department and business is skyrocketing. What, like, can you just kind of talk through how a business would get evaluated and to kind of start that process?
2: Sure, so here's the bottom line. You shouldn't sell at the bottom. The people who sell at the the business owners who sell at the bottom are the business owners that haven't planned. You know, you don't plan to fail, you fail to plan. And the biggest mistake the business owners make is they don't plan their exit. Steve Forbes says eight out of 10 businesses will not sell. Well, those 80% of businesses are not selling because business owners never think about selling until a catastrophic event occurs. And Mm -hmm. then by that time, you know, death, health issues, partner disputes, COVID, By that time it's typically too late because your business is at the bottom. You're not gonna be able to maximize value. Treat your business like an asset. Separately, it's, you know, emotionally detach from your business. Most business owners are so it's emotionally attached to their business. It's their baby. And Uh they feel like they're cutting off their right arm when they sell their business. Your business should not be your emotional connection. Your business should be your most valuable asset that you plan to sell. And then when you plan to sell it, you gotta operate on what I call all six P's that we talk about in Exit Rich, because if you operate on all six cylinders, if you have the people in place, if you have the processes and the product and the proprietary and the patrons, then you're gonna have a a sustainable business that's actually scalable, that's profitable. And that's when you sell. You sell when you're in the adult cycle. I call it the adult cycle, when you're in your prime. That's when you sell your business. So the evaluation process, so, you know, we do six different methods. I've been doing it for 20 years. I've evaluated thousands upon thousands of businesses. And we use six different methods. One of the biggest methods we use is the six Ps. Because we know if a a business owner has synergies, like if they have Uh a database or they have contracts or they have patents in place, we know that we're going to find the right buyers and we're going to create a bidding war that we can sell that business for more. We do it time and time and time again. When and so, That's when we great. value a business, you know valuations is more of an art rather than a science. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's the buyer who determines the value. Well, we want to create that feeding frenzy. We want to create that bidding war and right. that scarcity, and we want to create the value for the buyer because if the value if the buyer sees value in certain synergies, they're willing to pay more because they know that they're they know that those synergies will catapult their business to the next level, plus they can also take advantage of the economy of scales. Plus, mm-hmm. they can come in right away and start cutting some overhead, which will increase their EBITDA from day one. So yeah, we no, look that, at that, all that, of these things great. when we value. I'm sorry?
1: No, I was saying that that's perfect. So in the value, one thing that we're, the economy is turning into like a subscription economy anymore. There's subscriptions for almost anything. How important is that to help the value of the company by having you know, some kind of recurring, predictable revenue that they're always going to get.
2: Yeah. So recurring revenue is a huge syner- synergy. Mm-hmm. And that's something that buyers always look for. So if a business of so a buyers look, if a private equity group is looking at, you know, two companies and right. one has recurring revenue and one doesn't, in all likelihood of everything else is equal, they're going to go for the company that has recurring revenue. So everybody wants to buy residual. Everybody wants to buy a book of business. Everybody wants to, you know, make sure you got contracts in place. So reoccurring revenue is huge. And that certainly increases the price of the business.
1: So when it increases the price of the business, and we do have only a couple more minutes left, uh, you know, how are you able to sell the business then for more than what it's actually worth?
2: So there's there's lots of ways. Number one, when you look at a tax return of a business, What the net income is on that tax return is not the full picture, (laughs) right? You know, we normalize the financials. We add back personal expenses and non-reoccurring to get to the true adjusted EBITDA versus what it says on the tax return. So that's one way we do. We sell it for more than it's worth on on tax return paper. The other way is we identify the synergies. We identify the synergies and we already know the buyers. We have 28,000 buyers in our database. There's five different types of buyers. So we identify the synergies and we know if if we have a business, so here's a sweet spot. If a business is over a million dollars in EBITDA, we know we're going to have hundreds of buyers for that business because there are more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. So when we know we have hundreds of buyers, we're going to go to market without a price. Okay. And we're going to bring those strategics and those competitors and those private equity groups that are looking for synergies. They're looking for certain synergies to, to you know, be a complement to their business and take their business to the next level. So right. then we can create a bidding war. When you create a bidding war, that's how we get a higher price.
1: How long does this process typically take from start to finish? Average cycle?
2: Well, it, you know, it, it it all depends upon the owner. But I will right. tell you, you know, the average time in the United States is about a year. However. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the larger the business, the higher the EBITDA, but the quicker the sell. Because a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times I have audited financials. They have all their ducks Mm -hmm. in a row. They're operating on all six Ps. And a lot of times, you know, they have everything together. We don't have to wait on them. And we can bring buyers to the table within 30 days. I mean, we closed a business for $18 million in less than 90 days from start to finish. That is
1: extraordinarily quick. So That is. wrap up real quick. I mean, we've been talking uh, great stuff. It's been awesome having you on the show so far. So we're, uh, so far, but don't ruin so it. <laughs> right, right, right. I got the mute button here. <laughs> but, you know, we've been talking about the M&A and everything that you do and your experience, your your subject matter expertise. What are some things that people should really look for, though, when they're looking to get an M&A advisor?
2: Okay, so that's a good question too. Um, so you really need to make sure you got an advisor, not a broker. A broker okay. sells small businesses like restaurants and pizzerias and things of that nature, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're trying to sell, you know, a business for 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, you want to have a good margins and acquisitions advisor. You want to make mm-hmm. sure that they have, you know, at least five, 10, 15, 20 years of experience you want to ask them, you know, do they have any experience in your in your vertical, um, in your industry? You want to also ask them um, how many deals have they done? You know, how many deals have they right. done? How many deals do they do a year? What's the biggest deal they've ever done? And you want to know how many buyers do you have, and how do you evaluate businesses? Because a lot of brokers don't even really evaluate businesses. A, a seller will say, "Oh, I want ten million dollars for the business," and they'll say, "Okay," and write it up. Well, mm-hmm. that's not doing your job. That's being an order taker. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and so we're not order takers. If our clients are unrealistic, we don't take the deal. We do evaluations and we'll tell a client your business is worth $5 million. And if you only sell it for 10, that's fine. Pay for the evaluation and hire another broker that will take your business. It's not going to be us. So right. you just want to make sure that, you know, that they do evaluations. You want to make sure that they have buyers lined up. And you want to make sure, you know, what is a closing rate? I mean, brokers have less than 40% closing rate. Really low. Wow. Yeah. So wow. just do your due diligence. Do your homework.
1: Solid advice. Hey, why don't you tell us about how people can get in contact with you and about that awesome book, Exit Rich?
2: Sure. So Exit Rich is in the middle of pre-sales right now. But you can go buy Exit Rich at Amazon or... Exitrichbook.com. And I recommend Exitrichbook.com because it's less expensive than Amazon. And we will email you the copy immediately so you don't have to wait for the book. So we'll email you the copy immediately, digital download. Plus we'll send you the hardcover to, to the doorstep when it's delivered. Plus you get a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. Exit Rich Book Club Ooh. has video content me doing deep dives into the different strategies and techniques and things business owners should be doing Plus it has documents. So documents of how to run your business, organizational charts, non-employee um, handbooks, non-competes. Uh, if you've never sold a business before and you have no idea what a LOI looks like, letter of intent or purchase agreement or due diligence checklist or closing docs, it's all there for your review and your download. This is worth over $25,000 if you had your attorney create all these documents. Plus, we give right. you a 30-day membership in the club CEOs where we have a mastermind where we ask those tough questions to help business owners not only survive this pand- pand- pandemic, but come <laughs> on the other side of this and thrive so they can do oh. Exit Rich.
1: That That's great. I will definitely make sure that I'll have the link to your website down below in the descriptions. And also, how do they reach out to your company sure. in case they want to acquire your services?
2: So my website is solartucker.com. And I can also text Michelle to 888-526-5750. 888-526-5750.
1: And we'll, again, put all that information on the descriptions, on the video on YouTube or iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're watching or or listening to this. Michelle, hey, this has been uh, amazing. You gave us a lot of good info. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you, David. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh,
1: oh no problem i can't wait to my exit rich arrives so i'll see you <laughs> then thank you all
2: right thank you david have a wonderful and day you too okay.
1: wow such an incredible chat with michelle right seriously master of her domain totally rocks that was a jam-packed interview a lot of info to unpack in this episode michelle if you're watching thank you so much totally loved it first off Y'all know the routine by now. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked some warm and fuzzies inside you, do me a favor, smash the like button, smash that subscribe button. And when I say smash that subscribe button, okay, I know YouTube version of this uh, podcast is so much more popular than the audio streams, but if you don't know, I mean, there is an audio version of Sharkpipe Biz. It is not just on YouTube. In fact, if you look at the description in YouTube or if you look at the description on the audio podcast, you'll see a link to most of the major locations where you can find this show. Subscribe to it no matter what platform you're on, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Deezer, Stitcher, um, you know, iTunes, YouTube, whatever it is, subscribe. Help us out, show us your love, and by doing that, I'm going to keep bringing you some awesome People like Michelle on this show. Now, if you really, I know I just asked a lot, but I'm not gonna ask for more. I am in the sales world, remember? <laughs> so if you did really like this episode though, if you wanna do us a solid share this out, I wanna focus on the audio stream. I wanna build up the audio downloads of this. So do me a favor, share this podcast out. Share the Spotify link, the iTunes links, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, whatever. Share those out to your network, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Let's get Michelle and Shark Biz trending. So now let's get back to Michelle. Like I was saying, there was so much good stuff in that interview that it is uh, hard to unpack. I mean, I had to watch it once or twice just because it's like every time I watch it, it was like, oh, I missed that. I missed this. I mean... It was a an amazing chat thank you again so much michelle i think her six is really important because like we were saying it does really reinforce having a business that is sustainable scalable and a very sellable business model okay ultimately everybody's going to get out of the business you have to have that exit plan some people it might be succession in the family other people it's going to be selling you need to make sure that you're always building up a business that is going to ultimately be sellable or there is some kind of end game or exit plan strategy for you. An area of discussion that I loved though with Michelle was talking about some of the biggest profit mistakes that business owners have made. As we discussed, some of these problems are relatively Solutions to be able to be fixed, but learning from others' mistakes and learning how to operate your business more efficiently is really critical and in fact, I was thinking about this after, but you can look back at our episode just aired a couple of episodes ago. It was with Howard Shore, and we had a discussion on a lot of these same very topics um he didn't do it from the perspective of telling a business he did it for you know sustaining growing your business but basically you have to remember you can run your business extremely efficiently without adding more admin without adding more red tape i mean you should not be arming your employees with machetes to cut through all the red tape out there just so that they can do their daily job don't overthink the business the business processes like that keep it simple bigger isn't always better. Another area of discussion that really drew my attention was about the workflows areas. You know, Michelle was saying about when she goes in there, you know, that's one of the things that she ends up really analyzing, like, hey, are they all jacked up? And as you all know, I mean, this is an area that really hits home for me. And it's something that I love to reiterate every time. Uh, for those, I mean, you heard it during the interview, but day job, yes, I have a day job. I'm not just a YouTuber or a podcaster, but I do Vision 33. We do Sage in Tech. We do SAP Business One. And, you know, workflows, business processes, that's an important process in my life. That's what I do for a living. And people like Michelle and me, I mean, we're really out there with our teams of experts to be able to help you all. Everybody out there listening to this podcast, we're here to help you all figure this stuff out. You can have enterprise-level technology, okay? And by that, I mean automation, business intelligence, even AI. And you can have all of that stuff at a reasonable cost and a very good accessibility point. It's not overcomplicated. There are solutions for businesses that are a million dollars a year in revenue just as there's ones for $50 million a year revenue. So if you're looking to sell your business, in my opinion, setting up automation for your business processes, having defined uh, workflows, defined business uh, process workflows, and I think most importantly, just having valid real-time data so that you can make critical uh, business decisions on is probably one of the best decisions that you can make with your business. I mean, having that stuff sorted out should be critical. It shouldn't just be like you're making it up as you go along because it will make your life so much easier before you sell the business. Your employees will love you Once you're running on new platforms, that's going to enable them to do more uh, and easier. And most importantly, and this is going back to Michelle's point, is that it is going to really help you maximize the value of your business because the purchaser is getting something very cut, And essentially, I mean, they're not going to be inheriting a hot mess. So like I was saying, reach out to Michelle reach out to either one of us. I mean, we can definitely help you out, get you started down this path, or at least send you in the right direction if it's not us specifically. But I, I think that's a big missed opportunity that a lot of business have. So the discussion question of the day, have you ever sold a business? If you did, leave a comment on YouTube or whatever platform you're on. Let's discuss what your experience was. I'd love to hear some of those stories, what happened, how it happened, and the results of everything that went down. And most importantly, are you happy with how everything went down? Once again, you know, I want to just give a quick shout out to all our fans that wanted to be on the show. We're booking very far out, but not get discouraged. Email david at I will do whatever I can to get you on the show as soon as, soon as possible. Also, please do not hesitate to check out Michelle Sealer Tucker's book, Exit Plan. I got it down there. Link to Amazon in the description below. Once again, I'm David Strausser. This is Shark By Biz, and we'll see you all next episode. Cheers.